This is episode 21 with artist and designer Rachel Burke, also known as iMakeStagram. This is Magical Humans, and I am Vanya Vananina. I am an artist and creativity expert, and I am on a mission to talk to extraordinary people about their creativity, failures, wins, and everything in between. My wish is that these magical humans inspire you to take the leap and lead a creative life. Rachel, thank you so, so much for being on Magical Humans. I'm so excited you're here. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here too. <laughs> so you're joining us from Brisbane, Brizzy, in Australia, and I'm in Portland, Oregon, and you're 17 hours ahead of me, woman of the future. Yes. I think that is so, so cool. So Rachel, your name is Rachel Burke, but you're famously known as iMakeStagram. That's your handle on Instagram. And yep. you're the tinsel queen and pom-pom queen. Um, but for, I am a huge, huge, giant fan of your work. But for someone that doesn't know you, how would you describe yourself and what do you do? Well, that's a lovely introduction. Thank you so much. Um, I would describe myself, I guess, as a multidisciplinary artist in that I like to do a whole range of things from sculpture to fashion design, wearable art, painting, collage. Like I kind of have my fingers in a lot of pies. So that little title kind of allows me to be quite broad, I guess, in my practice. Um, and because I make everything myself, I kind of see all my work, whether it's a bit more commercial or a little bit more abstract as kind of my daily art practice, I guess. Uh, so yeah, that's me. And I love color and quirky stuff and just having fun, really. I think yeah. everything that you just said translates so well into your Instagram. And I, I think too, one thing that I sense from you, even though we haven't met in person, is that you are the same. You know what, you know what I mean? Like you are the same person that's excited with a nice tea or a nice coffee, the same person that loves yeah. brunch, <laughs> the same person that loves crafting. I don't, I don't feel like there's um, a facade, you know? So yeah, I guess that's what it is. And because I guess I work from home and I guess I have a little, like Brisbane is a small city and I live a small little pocket of the world, I guess. I just get excited by, like you said, just a cup of tea or just doing my own thing. And I guess that's why I've made a little mark on my little neck of Instagram, just because I'm kind of marching to the beat of my own drum. But I'm also genuinely excited about like discovering things in my own little world. So yeah, I'm having a good time. <laughs> I think you portray it so well. And for me as both just a regular human, but also an artist, it is so refreshing yeah. to see both things, you know, like you share uh, bits and pieces of your life and like mm -hmm. now your maternity. Congratulations. You're a new mom. Oh, thank you. <laughs> um, but also your creative process. I love that. I love your oh, tutorials, cool. Tinseltown. In fact, I am going to reveal something right now. So, Are you? Yes. Uh, I had a um, super fun installation for Design Week Portland during the month of yes. April. And uh -huh. I wanted to make, way before that installation was going to happen, 
one day at 2 a.m., I'm in my apartment and I feel the need to make a pom-pom and I had never made a pom-pom. Exactly. So I'm like, okay, if anyone knows how to make a pom-pom, I'm sure like Rachel has a tutorial or something. So exactly. I found your YouTube tutorial uh, with the pom-poms and I follow the instructions and I found a spool of yarn and there I was like 2, 3 a.m. in the morning in my studio making cool. a world Did of pom-poms. Work? Was it good? It totally worked. <laughs> Great. It totally worked. It's And I love that you were like, well, I've tried all the methods and it, this is the one that works for me because honestly, I thought that I had to use a pom-pom maker. In- I know so many people say that to me and I like I hate those pom-pom makers I find them really difficult to make like lots of them in in like quick succession I guess so yeah. yes definitely my tried and tested but I'm also always aware with those tutorials that it might work for someone and then someone might love a pom-pom maker and so on so exactly and I have never used a pom-pom maker so I'm just uh making them with your tutorial and I I cool. made one and I then I made five and then I made 30 and the next <gasps> morning my husband is like what's going on here and I'm like I'm just crazy about pom-poms I want to make all the pom-poms oh my God. it's so addictive hey I have a theory there's something about the circle that is actually like really relaxing to kind of sculpt and make oh, and it's addictive yes. and it reminds me of that artist Yuyoi Kasama how she yes. talks about yeah, the infinity and the dot. I think I talk about that actually in the video. Exactly. It's exactly, you, yeah. th- I think there's a title, the Yoi Kusama and Pom Pom Tutorial. And I yeah, was so yeah. pumped because I'm a huge Yoi Kusama fan. I love polka dots and contrast and like quirky shapes. and. Yeah, to me, this is my polka dot, I guess, the circle. Yeah. And, but I honestly have found that anytime I've been like a bit stressed in my life, I really gravitate back to making pom-poms. And I think there's something about just that orb and the circle is actually kind of like weirdly relaxing it's Um, so so, zen yeah yeah absolutely it's very zen so anyway I went from making a couple to a couple hundred and then uh, I made I was like how big can I go and I used I think you know like a a whole sheet of uh, paper to make like a big template and I thought that was giant and then I saw that you made that first giant palm and I'm like oh Oh my god. god I am going to do that. So I did it. Yeah. I did it. Yeah. I I mean, it wasn't the same day. It was like days after because I was just crazy in pom-pom land. Yeah. And I I also make. Exactly. And I also make ceramics and I was just, you know, like doing housework and things. So, but that those weeks were like very pom-pom intensive. Anyway, I made a giant one and I was so, so uh, close to shaving it and giving it a haircut, as you said. (laughs) But I couldn't. I left it shaggy. And that was one of them. It's hard. It's hard to decide whether to cut or to stay because they're both so beautiful. Yes. So I left it shaggy and it was our main point of the exhibition. I'll send you pictures. People were sticking their heads in the giant palm. They look hilarious and it was so colorful and fussy and it just gave me life. So I just wanted to thank you for being so forward and sharing all your tools and resources and it really made my life happier so thank you Rachel oh that's so lovely well thanks for getting involved and for sharing (laughs) that with me that's lovely (laughs) so I want to ask you about and I don't know if I'm pronouncing this right apology yes that is perfect yeah apology so uh, I think this project is amazing can you tell the audience what apology is 
Sure. So Apomogy is a communal art project that I've been running for the last few years. Uh, and it's all about making an apology by way of pom-pom. So very simply, a little note card with an apology is attached to a pom-pom. And I collect people's apologies from all over the world through just a really simple website that I have. And I write out their apology and share them through my Instagram, which is Apomogy. And yeah, it's been uh, a really big journey for me because it's very like emotional, cool project. I love it. Like it, it's just, I, I think it's cool because I, I love hearing people's stories and there's just, they're always just such a little glimmer into something that I'm sure is a lot bigger. And um, yeah, I've been probably running it for about four, four years now. And uh, I've done exhibitions and showing all the pom-poms and that sort of thing and workshops as well. And that's it. <laughs> it's so amazing. And the, the what I love, I mean, I love everything about this, but I really love that the light and the dark. A pom-pom is something fun, is something mm. happy, is something joyful. It's bouncy, it's round, it's perky. Yep. And then, you know, apologies are usually a little bit dark. You know, because yeah. they come from a place of shame or guilt or hurt mm -hmm. or grief. So I love that contrast of the light and the dark. And Me I think too. it's a yeah. beautiful medium. And I've seen oh, pictures. Cool. I mean, I wish someday soon I can see an apology show in person, but I've seen pictures and it just looks, it's so really powerful and very contrasting. Oh. Yeah, I guess I love that um, play with juxtaposing the hard and soft in terms of content and then form, I guess. Um, and for me, that that is exactly what a pomogy is. And the pom-pom kind of acts as like a soft vessel or almost like a little gateway for people to feel comfortable enough to share in this medium. Uh, and it's particularly evident when I run the workshops as well, because some people might start off by being like, oh, like, what the heck is this? Like, how are you trivializing, apologizing because you're doing it in a cute and fuzzy way? But it always ends up that people like take their time. Making a pom-pom actually is quite mindful and reflective and really allows people to kind of open up in this fairly unusual way. So obviously the workshop opens up that door, but also just people sharing online um, and everything is kept completely anonymous. So on Instagram, when the images are being shared, it's exactly what you said, just that contrast. Um, it, it just opens up this like weird gateway into sharing. Yeah, it's just, I loved the phrase you use, soft vessel. Yeah, it is like a soft vessel and it allows people to engage with the project. I think because it is like visually engaging as well, people are like, oh, what's this? Um, and they want to take part, they want to engage, but then it opens it up to a deeper meaning, I hope, and a deeper experience for some people. And that, like that's uh, like the apologies are so varied and diverse. Like there will often be consistent themes of love and friendship breakdowns and all sorts of things, but um, you'll also get some really funny ones along the way so it is the, a constant contrast though as well just like the pom-pom and the apology itself you'll also have funny um flip and glib uh apologies and then on the other hand you'll have some really harrowing like frightening stuff sometimes which can be really full-on yeah but it's uh yeah it's such a lovely project and how how did it start it like was it something that you wanted to do like to apologize to someone in a pom uh, medium or how Absolutely. did this 
it was like a, a whole series of like dominoes fell to start this project, I guess. And it started with me um, having a real life friendship breakdown with someone uh, that went on for years, like just too long. Um, and I'd had a couple of these actually. They were all like really juvenile falling outs. But by the time I was in my mid-20s, I had like three friendship breakdowns that I felt really sad about. Um, and I kind of got thinking. And as I grew up, I guess I got way more reflective and um, understood where I had been the common denominator in some of these friendship breakdowns. And I guess I wanted to say sorry to particularly one friend that I'd had a, a meltdown with. And um, I ended up catching up with this friend and we had coffee and I said a verbal apology to her and we and she said sorry to me. And I just remember leaving that meeting feeling so much better, but also feeling this sense of loss and sadness that I'd spent these years just being upset and not having this friendship for stupid trivialities that could have been re resolved just by being a bit vulnerable and saying sorry. So I was in that mindset at that time. And I, I was also at the same time parallel addicted to making pom-poms. And <laughs> pom-poms had always been like a very decorative thing that I had used in fashion and design, like headband stuff. I had done at that time a little mini exhibition, just of very like sculptural pom-poms. Like I would make a bunch of grapes with pom-poms or a Whoa. nest, like a little bird's nest with pom-pom eggs, but still very like uh, just purely visual sculptural things that didn't probably have much more depth than how they looked. Um, and but after having this experience with my friend, I remember then just being at home and I think I just did something kind of annoying to my husband and I left him one day just a pom-pom with a note attached to it. Like that, I can't even remember what it said, but it was like just sorry for being mean or something like that. And he really got a kick out of it. He thought it was pretty funny. Um, and I, as I do, went back to kind of like my little craft cave and just started thinking about this mode of sharing. And, and I, I then started to share some of my own, some of my own like deep seated apologies and attaching them to pom-poms and very weirdly started just leaving them around my neighborhood. So it was kind of like this act of personal catharsis where I was like, um, just leaving them and experimenting with, uh, sharing on my own in this, in this medium. Uh, and then I decided that, um, on Instagram, and this was back when I also had probably a much small following too, uh, that I would just start to share some of my own apologies online. And mm. literally immediately as soon as I did it, people started contacting me asking what it was, uh, could they share? And that was the biggest thing, like that suddenly people wanted to express themselves in this way. And literally it was just like one thing after another. I, I kind of just, like I could easily probably just left it at that, but something about it and that idea of people wanting to take part uh, just made it keep on going. And that's why I say it's a communal art project because without people submitting, this project just wouldn't exist sort of thing. So um, it's kind of like this kinetic uh, experience where people share and then I act and then the exhibition or at least even just the social media presence is cultivated. And it's really funny because as much as some of those initial apologies were my own, a lot of people think the whole project is my personal confession, <laughs> which wow. is really because, uh, which, you know, I don't actually mind. Like, obviously, if you just read a little bit, like you understand, but because sometimes the handwriting is all the same, um, I think that people don't understand that 
these submissions are made online and then I write them out. Uh, but that it's funny because it must seem like I'm actually like a very full on person with a lot of <laughs> adultery issues. It would <laughs> <laughs> like you are a case and you have so much to be sorry about. Oh my God. Yeah, I know. And that, that was funny. I remember a man walking past me as I was like hanging the exhibition one day and he was like, are you okay? Like, wow, you got a lot to get off your chest. And I was like, oh my God, they're not all mine. It's okay. <laughs> wow. This is way deeper and richer than I expected. I mean, it was already very interesting and fascinating to me because of this light and dark contrast, but this is so much better. Thank you so much for sharing oh. this. <laughs> No worries. <laughs> well, and since you, I read, and I, I think you shared this on Instagram, that you mm. made 2,000 plus pom-poms for an exhibition, correct? Or an installation? Yes. Correct, yes. So <laughs> when, I'm curious, when was the first time you made a pom-pom and why? Oh gosh, I remember years and years ago, I was at this little craft market here in Brisbane. It's called Finders Keepers. It's actually not little at all. It's very big and it travels around Australia. But I remember being at this market and seeing a pom-pom on a stick. And I had never really seen a pom-pom that looked that beautiful to me <laughs> on this stick. And I remember I they were quite expensive, even though they were just pom-poms on stick. But I remember I bought like four of them and just was like, <laughs> marvel at them and how beautiful they were and they sat on my desk and uh from there I remember just kind of tentatively YouTubing how to make pom-poms and there were a lot of like complicated tutorials I guess and uh I started trying out some of them and it was an instant love affair really and I just was hooked literally from those pom-poms on sticks and ever since then I've kind of developed my own methods uh, of streamlined pom-pom making because I have made so many pom-poms and I just never want to stop yet maybe <laughs> one day I'll get sick of it but it's just been constant I don't even know how long ago that that must have been like 10 years ago now uh just love at first sight. <laughs> I bet. So yeah. then I want to know more about baby Rachel and ah. Rachel as a teenager. So were yeah. you born in Brisbane? I was actually born in Melbourne. So okay. born in Melbourne. Yes. <laughs> and then how did you end up in Brisbane? So we moved up here, my family and I, when I was about 15 mm -hmm. and that was just for my dad's work and mum was like super keen on a sea change. Melbourne is so cold and the weather here in Brisbane is pretty dreamy. Uh, it is truly the sunshine state. So moved up here when I was about 15 and then I went back to Melbourne briefly for a year when I was around 20 to study an ill-fated musical theatre degree But uh, love Melbourne, love Brisbane. I feel like my heart's in two cities because I've got family in both and friends in both. Did you go to college? Are you self-taught? How, how did your design and craft <laughs> journey start? Well, it comes back again to my multidisciplinary degree vibes because <laughs> I um, definitely studied for five years at university, but I never actually graduated. And I studied so many random things But um, just it just never happened for me, uni, in terms of uh, completing it, which is very funny because I was always a very academic kid. I was such a goody two-shoes and mm. always was trying to, you know, get the best grades and strive, strive, strive. But when I got to uni, I think I hit a little bit of burnout and just got a taste of freedom. And so I would start degrees and then realize that 
I guess I got distracted by the next shiny thing. Uh, so I studied education at first to be a teacher and then I dropped out of that to study musical theatre. Um, and I also did like a part of a literature degree and then I finished off with creative writing that I did six months of um, and that taught me about blogs and once I learned about blogs, I was like, I've learned all I need to know from this degree. Goodbye. <laughs> and, uh, and once again left. So I feel like I have a degree because I certainly paid enough hex, which in Australia is the debt that you pay for um, your degree, um, mm-hmm. but I never actually got one. But I still feel like I learned a lot throughout that time. But hilariously, nothing relating to art or craft or making in any way. That was definitely a journey that I came to on my own outside of uni and was just fueled by kind of a love and passion for making stuff, really. Wow. So did you ever had like a, a corporate job or like, like, how is it that you're now a full time designer and artist? Like walk us through that. Yeah, such a big journey. Um, it's a bit long winded, as you could expect. But <laughs> I, um, during my uni days, when I was studying my range of degrees, I actually worked at this bookshop called Borders, which um, oh, yeah. was just my Yeah. Do you remember Borders? I remember actually when, well, I mean, I know Borders from the US. We used to get there to get like stickers or books. Mm -hmm. But then when I lived in Adelaide, there was a Borders in Rundle Mall. So Borders Borders was a big part of my, of the time I lived in Australia. So yeah. Yay, Borders. It was actually just such a like personal heaven for me as well. Like I just, uh, I feel like it's really actually left like a huge gap in the marketplace for just this magical bookshop that probably can't be repeated because people absolutely treated it like a library. Um, And obviously it wasn't sustainable because, Maybe the GFC had something to do with it as well, but um, going under. But I worked there for five years and Borders had such a huge impact on me as well. Like I, that was when I, there's a magazine in Australia called Frankie. And um, that was, yeah, that was the first time I discovered that magazine and another one called Lula. And just, it was the first time I really saw fashion editorial that made sense to me. Like I just never connected with this, commercial like airbrushed you know overly oh just like I'm just not a glossy mag kind of person I guess Mm. um and these magazines were really like tapping into this kind of dream land that um plays with nostalgia and uh beautiful 35 mil photography and just all this stuff that I had really never seen before and I would look through them while I was on my work shifts I was such a good employee but (laughs) and also just uh finding craft books in the craft section and things that I'd just never been exposed to like my family is so not arty and um and I guess for a long time I wasn't even really that arty it was just through like discovering mainly like really these books and magazines um, initially that that opened me up to a whole new aesthetic that I just had never been exposed to. Uh, And also just working at Borders was really fun. But I, so I did that for a time. And then after I left and moved to Melbourne, I also worked in Borders there, um, but then had to quit because my uni degree that I did there was very intensive. But I had always wanted to be on Broadway and I was just so focused on being a singer and a performer, which is so funny. I would have Uh, never guessed that. (laughs) Yeah, so that was really like my past life. And while I was studying at uni, I did a lot of musical theatre shows here in Brisbane. 
and that was just always my focus. And it was really just side by side to that, that I would make by hand costumes a lot of the time. Uh, and it was, but it was very like, oh, I need a costume for my school play. I'll just make it. Or I need a costume for this musical. I'll just make it. Uh, and sometimes a costumer would pull out and then I would always be the go-to or if something broke, I'd be the go-to. And I just had those skills because um, my background's Maltese and um, my family, it's just like, if you're a girl, you're taught to sew. Like it's wow. a little bit, but like it just comes back to those like very like if you're a woman, you must have all these like yes, uh, treats and, and skills. And so, yeah, absolutely. So I just got taught all these um, hands-on skills, you know, can clean a house, can sew a button, can, yeah. <laughs> um, can do. Um, and I always took those skills for granted, I guess. And uh, it wasn't until I had, again, another little burnout when I was about 21 and realized that actually I didn't want to be a musical theater performer for the rest of my life or for the rest of the year that <laughs> I started to kind of really desperately and panickedly, that's not a word, but it is now, um, decide mm-hmm. that I needed to find something else that I was passionate about. And so through a lot of reflecting and diarizing, I worked out that I really loved making things and perhaps that was how I could start the next chapter of my life. And through that desperation and just the act of doing, I kind of just made it happen. And then I'm curious, like from that catharsis of realizing mm. that you don't want to be in musical theater at all, really, yeah. uh, after being such a big thing in your life, what was the first project or job you had Besides, you know, mending costumes and and things at the theater, uh, what Mm. was the first thing that you made where you made money and you're like, oh, I guess I could just make another of these or I could keep doing this? Well, um, secondary to my love of musical theater was really my love of going out and partying. So I remember (laughs) when I, which is part of the problem why my musical theater degree wasn't sustainable because I think I just liked the parties that came after (laughs) the show. I didn't like actually all the work that was involved with putting on the show. (laughs) Um, problem, but, um, I, uh, when I left the course, um, it was, it was very like, um, what is the word? I just remember being quite clear that I had to find a new passion. Like I had to find something else because musical theater had always really defined me. And now that I didn't have that, I was like, who am I? What, what am I going to be? What am I going to do? And I need to do something because type A personality want, want to strive. So the first step was uh, when I went and studied creative writing, um, at my kind of last university degree, I, I learned about blogs and, um, it immediately caught my attention because I loved that idea of sharing. Um, and I loved that idea of, uh, kind of doing your own niche little project and maybe connecting with an audience at the same time. Mm -hmm. So, Uh, combining my love of partying and then uh, making at the time, I thought that uh, it would be a cool idea to make a dress quickly on a friend uh, and by quickly, like in the space of three hours, interview them and then go out on the town and take lots of photos out of the clubs in our cool outfit that we'd made. Oh, uh, and side by side that I was like, oh, it'd be really great to raise some money for charity because, you know, as much as I can sew, I don't really know what I'm doing. So it would be an awesome way to practice my skills and do something do good. for a good cause. Yeah, yes, exactly. And I felt like 
had been, I remember at that time, I felt like I had been so self-serving for so long. Like I was always seeking an applause, always seeking, you know, being the center of attention and just doing stuff for myself that at that time I was like, oh, I kind of like, you know, want to do something for a good cause and kind of make something for someone else and kind of take the focus off myself and maybe that was also side by side because I didn't feel too good about myself at that time as well that the idea of making things for other people and then also having a goal that hopefully I could complete also made me feel good so I did that project and it was called I Make You Wear It and a friend of mine helped me set up a website and put it all together and uh, I just did this blog for 20 weeks and made a dress every week so I made 20 dresses and through this little pocket of the internet, I connected with all these people and people were buying the dresses and that money was going to charity. And that was the first time that I had that validation for the things that I was making. And I guess a dialogue had actually begun with people about the things that I was producing and the designs they liked. And also for the first time, I was also tapping into my own sense of style, uh, mm. which was something that just never had even crossed my mind. Like it's so funny seeing photos of me in like when I was 20 because I was so grungy and a little <laughs> bit borderline emo. Wow. Uh, and such, yeah, yeah. And it was just like, but I also like had no real sense of myself. Like I was just like copying like things that I thought were cool. And so when it came to making stuff, for other people, this style emerged, which was very feminine and very frilly. And because I wasn't an amazing sewer or pattern maker, the things that I was making had to be like, they just had to work. So they were invariably different to what anyone else was doing because I was just kind of hodgepodging them together and trying to make them look cute as opposed to having them be well-made because I couldn't well-make them. <laughs> so, um, so that's where my love of like, embellishment and pom-poms and things started to emerge as well because if I did a really bad seam line or if I hodgepodge something together I would cover it up with some gems or sequins or that is um, I would awesome yeah. that is a great idea because you know I guess my mind also things like that sometimes in ceramics when I am I don't know like I've fire and refire it a piece and there's still like a crack or a little something that yeah. I can fix I'm like what can I glue to yeah. cover that you know and of course it's yeah. not um it's not a functional piece it's not gonna be used for food or liquid but I I love how you just bedazzle everything like you put jewels yeah. and a foil and and pipe cleaners and pumps and everything it's so so cute and of course yeah. you know I think it's refreshing too I'm in my in my personal life as in my art practice I always strive to keep it playful to have yes. that playful element so when I see your art in the world which I think is so playful and so fun but it's where it's treated like fine art it's so validating mm. For you, yeah. for me, for everyone that makes a uh, craft that it's not an oil painting, you know, and it's still yeah. as valuable. Yeah, and it feels more accessible as well. Like I feel like fine art and, um, you know, technical painting and everything like that, whilst it's amazing, it is kind of like a skill that not everyone can have and also is like it's on this pedestal as well that feels a little bit cold and inaccessible sometimes. Yeah. Not all, but a lot of the time it's just hard to you know, to access and takes a lot of time. But making a pipe cleaner sculpture or something like that is just so easy for other people to do. And um, 
I, I just think fun. And it's like, why, why is a pipe cleaner sculpture any less valid than, you know, an oil painting? Is exactly. it, is it the skill? <laughs> is it the skill? Let's open up that discussion. <laughs> exactly. But, um, exactly. I feel like this yeah. is a conversation that needs to be highlighted. I feel like there's a big shift happening right now in the art world where people are paying more attention to culture and there's this big authenticity uh, conversation and, and authenticity in the way that like, oh, are you making Mexican art? Are you Mexican? Like, mm -hmm. oh, are you appropriating? Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? But I feel that the core of that conversation is that we just want to be seen. And I think yeah. a drawing with chalk on the sidewalk is as valuable as a fine old painting, you know, like it's just. Absolutely. I feel like I have this discussion a lot with, um, I don't know, people in my life who often will say that they're not creative or they're not, you know, they're scared to do something because they feel like it's not original or anything like that. Or even people who come to workshops and are like, oh, what I'm going to make isn't going to be very good. But I try to say that to me, like, all artwork and what's so special about people making things is that it is self-expression. Like it is your your take on something, like your pipe cleaner sculpture is going to be different to mine just because you've done it sort of thing. And yes. that's really important because your mark, it's your story. And I, I think that that's so important that people remember that, that what they produce is special because it's like an imprint of themselves. And That's why I don't think that uh, an oil painting is any more valid than, uh, you know, soft clay sculpture or something like that because I'm like it's still a record that someone existed and that that's a, a record of their brain sort of thing. And whatever way that comes out, whether it's in a fine art way or a hodgepodge way, like who is to judge what is what is better? Yes. Uh, all, of, all of the yeses. One thing that I need to state is that you are amazing at project managing. Because apology, <laughs> and then now, like, I make you worried with the 20 weeks and the 20 dresses. And now, like, it seems like you're really good at organizing and, you know, I don't know, maybe scheduling and delegating. I mean, not necessarily delegating to other yeah. people, but just, like, organizing yourself around a project. Like, big props. Oh, thanks. Look, I, I, I think I wasn't always as good at it. I think I got... I got better at it out of just raw necessity and that definitely came into play after I got a corporate job uh, and was working nine to five and kind of had to be like, oh, either I just work this nine to five job and that's it or I do this nine to five job and keep my art practice alive when I go home. Uh, yeah. And so that's why I had to become really good at um, – At, at making the balance work. Otherwise, it just wasn't going to work and it would have been easy to just kind of give up. I mean, my true scheduling prowess is going to be tested now that I have a baby, but I don't I'm not going to let him break me. I'm, <laughs> I'm like, let's, let's put this to the test, this, um, this life balance, because it's like having a cutie timer that goes off every two hours. Um, so uh, I feel like adding that into the mix is going to be a real interesting time, but I feel like I'm up to the challenge. So let's, let's see well, how we go. On that topic, I want to ask you something that it's, uh, is deeply personal for me in the way that, mm. you know, if I get really... Um, really human here it's a yeah. fear that I have I'm not a mother yet but I'm I'm looking to be in the uh, next couple of years 
But I'm always, like for me, I have, sometimes, like I said, it's 2 a.m. and I just get crafty and I and mm. I stay up making pom-poms or, or making um, 20s clay pots in just in the, yeah. in the pottery wheel. So, or I have, I don't know, like inspiration just comes and goes. So I'm curious about creativity and motherhood yeah. like how you just said that like okay um this baby is not gonna break this amazing project management skills that I have but how has it been for you I know it's been you know a few weeks but how uh, what did you notice a shift do you feel that you're more oh, creative absolutely. or like what tell me about it Look, I will like straight up say that like, right, uh, so many people have asked me, do you feel more creative since becoming a mom, even though it's only been four weeks, but I've already had a lot of people message me and that sort of thing. And like, honestly, no, mainly because there just hasn't been the time. Like the first weeks of having a baby are just so much more intense that I could have ever imagined. Um, mainly it's just so intense on your body and your mind and your spirit because you're just so you're just so hormonally charged and suddenly you have this thing in your life that you've never loved more than anything else. And that is more than even my craft. And I just like, honestly was not expecting that. Like I feel so naive. I, <laughs> because when I had, like, even when I was pregnant, I was like, I'm going to have this baby and I'm going to love it just like as much as I love my dogs. Like how could I ever <laughs> love anything more than I love my dogs? You know, like just so silly but it, it's funny you just think these thoughts like and even the amount of love that I could imagine I would have for the baby and while I was pregnant I was so in love with um, him being in my tum and everything like that nothing can prepare you for that love you feel when you see them and I know that my mum had told me that and people had said it but um, I just was ill prepared for that I will say because I, I cried for a number of days just about how much I loved him oh that's so <laughs> um, sweet and, Rachel but then when you recover a bit it also is really harrowing to realize how much you love them because then you understand that everything else you do is going to have to take second place to them and that's the way it should be because you're suddenly incredibly responsible for another human being and you need to bring your A game but also then you start to in the days after reconcile the fact that oh my god like who am I now and how am I going to keep my art practice alive because I want to and I mean a lot of people maybe make the decision and I can understand now and didn't understand before why people maybe make the choice to take a really long break or to um to quit things or to do stuff like that and you, it, it would just be so personal a choice from person to person what that would be for them. For me, I know already, like, I have to keep my own art practice alive or I'll go crazy um, mm -hmm. just, just because, like, I, I love it. And also it's my job and, um, and I've worked so hard on it. And also, you know, feminism, I want him to see his mum be a strong, powerful lady who makes it makes it all work but it in the initial weeks like I mean I'm only in week four uh it, it is incredibly challenging and I know it will get easier just because it's a huge learning curve like breastfeeding and pumping and just the emotions and literally the round of round the clock care that comes with keeping them alive um and getting to know them and all that sort of thing it's a full-on time but even from day one to day four weeks which we're at now um I feel so much more capable like when I got home I was just so shook to my core because I was like oh my god who am I now with this 
huge responsibility that is not going to go away. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then I don't, I don't want him to go away, but I've also, um, I think it, like before having him, you can get caught up in the like, Oh, babies, the idea of babies as opposed to the reality, which is this relentlessness in terms of the huge love that you feel and the huge responsibility. And then also just the huge level of tasks that you have to do, like sterilizing and washing and caring. Um, but it's a challenge that you just have to rise to. Otherwise you would just quit, I guess, because it would be easier. But um, uh, I don't want to do that. And so many women obviously make it work. Like I've never Googled so much, like so many articles (laughs) about other creatives who make it work because like I need that inspiration as well because it's just, yeah, it's just so much more full on than I could have anticipated, I guess. So be prepared for the love. It's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> this is so beautiful, Rachel. I love how you're being so candid and real about about everything because it is it is a huge, huge, huge life change. And it's a huge yeah. deal because you have this tiny human. So yeah. look at this. You love making so much that you made a tiny human. That's so <laughs> I cute. know. This time I best project yet yes (laughs) but um but I I am honestly like uh, now that my brain has calmed down a bit because at first I was like a little bit panicked because I was like oh my god like how am I actually going to do this but it's also about opening yourself up then to your community as well and not uh, my whole mantra through the whole pregnancy was don't be a hero Um, (laughs) uh, being applied to birth as well because you know you hear all these things and I'm just like don't be a hero make choices that are good for you you don't have to prove anything to anyone just do what's best sort of thing and and I my that's I'm trying to bring that mantra through into motherhood as well like there are so many people I'm so lucky in my life who want to help me like my mum and my dad and previously I've taken that care so for granted and I've just been like oh leave me alone like um I don't need you sort of thing but now it's just I need you like if I'm going to need an afternoon to make something, I'm going to ask my mom to help me. Like I'm going to open my, instead of just feeling like I have to do everything myself, which I think so many women feel this pressure to do everything themselves or, you know, don't have the luxury of having assistance and that sort of thing. Um, oh man. Yeah. Hug your mom. Such a, <laughs> such a, like such a big topic, but uh, yeah, bottom yeah. line, oh, hug man. your moms, say thank you. Yeah. That's yes. like, hug your mom, say thank you. And like, such an appreciation for working mums and that sort of thing. But also it does make me feel a bit powerful because I'm so just like childbirth and getting through that. Once you get through it, you do feel this sense of power where you're like, you can oh do my anything. God, I can achieve anything. And I'm like, if I could give birth to you, I can work out a schedule that's going to allow me to do my craft and love yes. you very deeply. So let's Good job, do this. Rachel. So. You're doing a great job, sweetie. Good oh, job. Thanks. Thank you. But yeah, don't, um, it it is full on, but I mean, so far, so worth it. So let's see how we go. (laughs) It's good. My chat with Rachel was so full of goodness that this is a two-part episode. Stay tuned for part two next week. 